When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's February 9th, 1539, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Prior to being banned in 1533, a bloody type of football called the Gotthard's Day or Shrove Tuesday football match used to be played annually at Rody Field by the side of the River Dee in Chester. But in an act of what I can only assume was an early kind of gentrification, it was on this day in 1539 <laughs> that the new mayor of Chester, Henry G, more on him later, repurposed that same tract of land for the country's first ever recorded horse racing meet. Yeah, I mean, you say first ever recorded horse racing meet. It's sort of ridiculous to try and decipher what the (laughs) first horse race was through Britain because although obviously codified race meetings at a track can be traced back to a particular day, the idea of, you know, taking the most popular early transport of all civilization and then getting another guy (laughs) to see if he can go faster than you, that feels like quite a basic (laughs) idea that must have been going since the Roman times, right? Yeah. I think Recorded is doing a lot of heavy lifting (laughs) (laughs) that opening sentence. The earliest reports we have of horse races as a a general phenomenon date to 4,500 BC in Central Asia. (laughs) There we go. Horse racing, still very popular. (laughs) But what we can say for definite, though, is that this was the first horse racing meet at the oldest surviving race course in Great Britain. You can Mm. still go to Chester Racecourse now. It's on the exact same place, probably a little bit more in the way of amenities than there were in 1539, but you could still go there and see (laughs) horse racing in the, you know, in broadly the same format that you would have seen it at the time. Yeah, there's also the Kipling Coates Derby, though. So Mm. listeners in Yorkshire, before you write in complaining, saying, well, that ran uninterrupted from 1519 until 1947. Yes, but that's off-road. We're not here to talk about the off-road racing. Nope. We're here to talk about the horse racing in a course <laughs> that is still happening now. Is that enough qualifies for you, that, Chester? That got recorded and is in England. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, having slightly debunked our own myth-making, uh, why was this a significant event, Arian? Well, one of the most significant little parts of it is that Henry G., that mayor of Chester... It's his name that became synonymous with racehorses. And the reason why they're called GGs today is because no, of Henry G. Absolutely not, Arian. I'm going to well, stop you right there. Well, that's what I've got. This is, this is classic <laughs> folk etymology, and I've got to stop it. I've got to stop it right here in its tracks. Even the challenge, nope, <laughs> had me doubting myself. <laughs> I don't want to be a party pooper, but I will. This will, for future generations, be regarded as a Messina intervention. That's what it's going to be called. <laughs> yeah. yes. oh, it's like, I don't want to spoil the fun. And yet there's something inside me that just can't stop myself. Uh, the Although he was called Henry G and horses are often called GGs, it is almost definitely related to the order G up that someone might give a horse. Sorry. Ah, uh, yeah. Which started yeah. when? Oh, before a this, challenge. Before this, I'll tell you that. <laughs> From the bench. You know, I yeah, don't have my history book to hand. actually. <laughs> and we don't know too much about what this first horse racing meet looked like. We do know that the winner received a set of silver bells to hang from their bridle, which doesn't sound that exciting, but definitely improvement on previous races in Chester where the prize was a painted wooden ball. 
<laughs> also, to hang on your bridle, as in, like, on the horse. Yeah. Oh, I like the fact they've given a prize for the horse. Because even now, it's a cup, and what does a horse want with a cup? I quite like the idea that the horse be like, yes, you can hear me coming. I'm a winner. I'm a champion. Ding, ding, ding. Well, as they went on, they introduced more races. And in 1744, the Grosvenor Gold Cup was introduced. And the prize for that, you'll be unsurprised to learn, was a small tumbler <laughs> made of solid gold. Ah, oh, I was hoping for platinum. You then had the May Festival introduced in 1766 and the Tradesman Race Cup, the predecessor of what's now known as the Chester Cup, introduced in 1824. So, you know, the site became a for horse racing within the UK and partly because of this history. I think that's the important thing that like so many things about sport in particular, often it's the history that gives it its credibility, like for example the ceremonial burning of the bales that led to the ashes you know, the cricket match between Australia and England. So I think that's one of the significant aspects of it, just that it is so incredibly old. It's kind of embarrassing for Chester though, isn't it? You know, they, they should be so proud that they had the first horse racing meet in Britain and they've got this unchanged race course and yet if you asked anyone in the street where do you think the first race course in Britain was no one would say mm. Chester apart from people maybe in Chester everyone would say <laughs> Ascot or yes. Epsom or maybe even Windsor because like there's a track right next to Windsor Castle isn't there you know the Royal Connection yeah and I, I suspect it's a bit embarrassing for people up north that they lost this real heritage I know they've got like York and other race courses but it's become a southern English thing when they had it and I wonder if the reason for that might be the royal connection. You know, since James I, Henry mm. VIII, right the way through to Elizabeth II, there's been this royal interest and mm. they couldn't be bothered to traipse up to Chester. Is that it? Yeah, it seems like a lot of modern architecture of horse racing. So having you know, Ascot, Epsom, Newmarket as being the hubs did happen because of the royal patronage and another hugely important part of horse racing that started developing later under James the first was betting when you went to roadie race course on this day in 1539 you wouldn't have been able to place a bet on a horse the concept of gambling on races hadn't been invented or certainly hadn't come to Britain it wasn't until the early 1600s during the reign of James the first who was another very keen horse racing enthusiast that you started to have bookies at race courses well I have to say not all rulers were big fans. One who wasn't, Oliver Cromwell, well known for not being a fan of very much. <laughs> he banned a lot of things in his time, so you, this one might have passed you by. He actually banned horse racing temporarily twice. Because of the gambling? No, it was a, it was a weird one. He believed that the meetings provided a premise for the aristocratic attendees who would have been there to form, in his words wicked and secret plots and devices possibly against him hmm. so he banned it because he didn't want all of these dukes and earls hobnobbing together and maybe murmuring about overthrowing oliver cromwell to be fair i've been in the royal enclosure at ascot and if cromwell was to come to power these days that is where the plot would start <laughs> The course itself has an interesting legend associated with us, which is that there's a point on it marked with a cross. And beneath that cross, there's meant to be a, a buried statue of the Virgin Mary that was sentenced to hang after causing the death of a woman called Lady Trost, wife of the governor of Hawarden. And the legend says that she'd gone to pray for rain during this particularly fallow period when there wasn't much rain about. But when her prayers were answered with this really torrential, tremendous thunderstorm. This statue fell on her and killed her, and the townsfolk didn't quite know what to do with this criminally. This is the, how the story goes. Because a holy object couldn't 
be sort of tried, and it certainly couldn't be hanged or, or burned, but they did apparently subject it to a trial, so the story goes. <laughs> <laughs> and if the legend is true, and I'm conscious that now that I'm saying it, it probably isn't, <laughs> this would be the first recorded case of a jury being used in a court. There you go, Rebecca, shoot that one down. <laughs> I feel like it shoots itself down. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> well, I mean, you've come up with two curios there, Arian, related to this meat in Chester, but I would return to the one you mentioned in your opening link, all too briefly in my view, the traditional Shrove Tuesday football match, yeah. which was outlawed and replaced on this day by horse racing. When health and safety is flagged as an issue in 1539, you've got to know that must be a crazy-ass sport. I mean, people were happy to let commoners die doing all kinds of stuff. So I looked into it, and it's not only is it amazing that it existed and some of the myths around it is apparently that people were kicking around human heads and stuff in in the Middle Ages, but... More amazing is the fact that it still exists now. So there are still villages and towns across England where they play Shrove Tuesday football, which is essentially the men of the town and the young-ish boys, like adolescent boys plus, gather in the middle of town. People say, do not bring your car to the town centre because it's going to (laughs) get trashed. Do not go anywhere near the pubs. And the police basically turn a blind eye to these events because they're historic and traditional have been going on for, you know, like it's innocent, like cheese rolling. They just ignore it. And then what happens is they sort of throw the ball up, which is like a little small leather thing now, obviously not a human head. And there's sort of like a scrum to try and get hold of it. But there are no rules. I'm not joking. Apart from don't kill anyone. So, apart from don't kill anyone, you're allowed to throw people into the river trying to pursue the ball. You're allowed you're to right. hold their head down. You're, it's all—it's absolutely nuts. And it happens in places like Sedgefield still. It happens in Ashbourne. And uh, I'm fascinated by that. Even during my sportiest days, I don't think I'd want to have played that particular brand of football where you're <laughs> it's who can throw who in the river so as to put a human head into a particular basket. I thought that's what Aussie rules football was. <laughs> it isn't far off. Well, the idea of this clearly, I'm mean, not making it sound bad. Obviously, for the people who do it, it has a lot of brotherly connotations and they basically all get drunk, don't they? That's the idea. You get drunk, you have fun with your fellow man playing an inherently absurd sport and it's funny because... Oh, so-and-so popped out their shoulder when he tried to get it from under the car. But, I mean, so weird. So weird that's a medieval sport that is still practised. Why do we not know more about that? (laughs) And why is it not on the BBC? They can't afford to broadcast (laughs) horse racing anymore, so in a flip-reverse of history, maybe they could start doing Shrove Tuesday football, because I would watch that. (laughs) Tomorrow. It's just like one of those classic tradition things where the mayor at the time just said, I'm not going to do that. And then the tradition just died. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.